What's up, Justin? What's up, Justin? Today we're talking about Mission Impossible. What up, bro? <laughs> Yo, that was great. Yeah, that was right. That off, was so uh, good, right off the cuff. <laughs> that so was so good. That people won't believe take. that was first take. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first take. Didn't write it down. No rehearsals. Freestyling. Oh, uh, I remember in like oh, I forget what grade exactly it was. He was either fifth or sixth grade. Uh, the middle school band, back when I played saxophone, we did the Mission Impossible theme song, like, for one of our concerts, and, uh, at that point I had never seen any of the movies, and so I was like, okay, like, this sounds familiar and it sounds cool, but I, I've never seen the movies, so I don't really have a concept of what this is. I thought it was some, like, really, really old franchise, and didn't know they were still making movies at that point because, like, I had heard Mom and Dad talk about Mission Impossible and stuff. Right. And then, uh, yeah, no, silly me. I also was terrible at saxophone and would just play hot cross buns during the concert instead of uh, uh, there's no <laughs> the way. actual music. You didn't know that? <laughs> no way. That's so funny. Well, not every, con- not every concert, but, you know, I, I got bored. All, all the tenor saxophone did. Okay, so all the the trumpets and like the alto saxophones got like the harmony. They got the cool right or melody, whatever. I was just stuck playing the bass line, so I was stuck with like whole notes and just holding the same three notes for the whole song. So you so just I played high cross so. instead. Yeah, I mean, I oh I was stupid. God. I thought that I thought that uh, no one could hear me because the band was so loud. I Dude. thought that I wouldn't stick out at all. But um, yeah, no, I got some wow. glares from uh from good old Mr. Hart. Sorry, wow. sorry, Mr. Hart, if you're hearing that's, this now, uh, uh, I know hilarious. you knew that because I that's got some so some side eye from him for sure. <laughs> Dude, I have some stories from band. Let me tell you. Well, was a maybe we'll child. do a whole episode on band stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably not. But uh, oh my gosh, man, that's funny, dude. Uh, but yeah. wow, that's I didn't know you did that uh, song in, in middle school band because we never did that. Uh, yeah. And Mission Impossible does have a very recognizable. Oh yeah. And iconic theme song yeah. uh you hear it in every movie it's it's got it like a upbeat vibe it's got the tense mm-hmm. notes and and theme going on um it just lets you know what kind of movie you're in for really yeah i don't think there's a lot of soundtracks and, and not to say that you know the music in mission impossible is really what you're there for because it's obviously not but man it's a good theme song i'll tell you what yeah yeah, it's always kind of reminded me of the Incredibles theme song because they sound like pretty similar. If you if you haven't, go and check them out. They, they don't sound the same, but they they sound similar enough that I'm like, oh, I wonder if there was a little bit of influence here. But I guess like action, you know, there's some there's some action movies in general. There's some some things that pull similarly. Oh, maybe yeah, I'm, okay. Maybe I'm remembering wrong, but you know, I don't no, know. I can oh, I, I can hear it. It took me a minute to remember the Incredibles, but it's the Incredibles yeah. goes. Is like da 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 Oh wait, I just switched to Mission Impossible at the end. But that's what I'm saying. See, they could. They seem like they could be like the first part and the second part of the same song, almost. You know, or like the bridge and the chorus type of type of thing. But but either way, yeah. No, the soundtrack. You hear it. You know, it's about to be a good time. And yeah, yeah, Steve, we just saw the new one. Dead Reckoning Part 1. Well, we didn't see it together, but we each saw it yes. over this past weekend because it just came out. Um, 
And uh, so I do not remember that much about the previous ones. I've seen all six of the previous Mission Impossibles over the years, but the last one came out like pre-pandemic. It's been a while since since six came out, and um, and I didn't have the chance to rewatch it before coming mm-hmm. into this one. And so honestly, I don't even remember that well what happened before. And I know that like the lore has, you know, it matters. Like all the side characters come or a lot of them come back. And like, obviously Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt, like knowing his backstory helps. But it it does seem as if um, a lot of them are relatively episodic. Uh, At least coming into this one, not having remembered that much about the previous ones. Like I was able to follow everything totally yeah. fine, and I, I had one question like early on when um, we saw the backstory about Rebecca Ferguson's character Ilsa, I think was her name. Yes. Um, we have like hey, the hey, we're just you already know the vibes. We're spoiling the whole movie. Oh yeah. Strap in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you didn't know that, welcome to the podcast because you must be new because we spoil everything on everything. Oh yeah. Um, but but yeah, there was like the flashback scene with her and. I was like, is this an actual scene? I don't think so, because I'm pretty sure this is her first time showing up in any of these movies, but I didn't know if I had just not remembered, and you're shaking your head. So I, I thought it was easy, but I ended up checking with you, and you were like, yeah, this was like a made-up, a new flashback, quote-unquote. It wasn't actually flashing something we'd seen before. Um, and so I felt a little bit better after that. But yeah, I was coming into this knowing the concept of Mission Impossible, having seen all of them, but not with like the cleanest memory of kind of what's happened other than like they always go rogue and kind of do their own thing pretty much it's always like a don't do it this time and then they do it and the next time they're like you're in big trouble don't do it again and then they do it again and the same thing happens in this movie so it's like i don't know why they bother like tom cruise cannot play the guy that just follows orders you know right it's it's always got to be a maverick hunt always maverick like it doesn't matter he's just always doing his own thing so Yeah. yeah Yeah, no, it's, uh, it is funny that this is the seventh Mission Impossible movie, which, like, kind of, after so many movies, starts to ring false of its own name, you know? Like, it can't be that impossible if they'd done, you know, six different, seven, now seven, and an eighth one on the way, and probably more. I mean, Tom Cruise is, like, 60-something, but he's clearly still able to pump out big action blockbusters and clearly loves this franchise like i think uh the after like the second or third one he like started producing them himself because he loves ethan hunt and like the mission impossible series so much yeah um but yeah it's like after a certain point it's like mission you know unlikely but still gets like (laughs) gets it done like uh i don't know um it's just funny that I mean, these are also the only times we've seen on camera. And you could probably say there's a, at least a couple missions within each movie. Uh, and so that, you know, is pushing the number up to, like, high teens, pushing 20 impossible missions so far. So, yeah. I mean, he, he truly is a legend in the espionage community at this point, I guess. But, I know. yeah, this movie, um, unlike uh, you, I'm a little bit more familiar with the Mission Impossible series. Uh, I did a marathon with my roommates uh, 
a year or two ago where we went through all six and fallout was the most recent one before this which came out in 2018 and we'll talk about the rest of this movie but i still think fallout's the best one uh, at this point fallout for to me is like very close to a 10 out of 10 movie it's almost the flawless action movie you could ask for um but yeah the a couple of things you you mentioned earlier, like the the flashback scene that we get um, between Ethan and one of the villains of this movie, Gabriel, and mm-hmm. some agent that we like haven't seen yet, uh, who's not Ilsa, doesn't that doesn't exist in any of the other movies. So it's not a flashback to something that has already happened in the series on screen. It's just something I think Ethan mentions uh, that it came to him before his IMF days. The Impossible Mission Force, which is a great name for a team, by the way. Um, but they flashback to a scene that we've never been seen, uh, we've never been shown before, and uh, that was a little bit interesting. I thought that they would try to tie uh, this movie back to something that's already happened to Ethan Hunt and you know, the people around him, um, but they just sort of mention it and make it seem like it's something that's important to him. Um, It is a little bit interesting watching these movies uh, because though there's a lot of recurring characters, uh, I mean, Luther's been in every single movie. Uh, We get Simon Pegg for his fourth, fifth movie because he's in Mission Impossible 3, actually, and then in Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout, and this one. So it's his fifth movie. Uh, We get Ilsa Faust for her third movie in a row. Obviously, Tom Cruise goes without saying. Uh, and then we also get uh, Kittredge, who's now the head of the CIA, who I don't think has appeared since Mission Impossible 1. Um, but yeah, I think Mission Impossible is a great franchise as it stands right now. If I had to just give a quick run-through of the prior six movies, I would say one is a classic I don't think it's the best one of the series, but it really lays the groundwork for all the movies that come after in terms of, you know, setting up a team, something goes wrong in the beginning and then Ethan has to go rogue and his own government's like hunting him down or some scenario like that where he is kind of on his own with not a lot of external help and has to save the day. Um, We get the classic rappelling down uh, from the ceiling scene in the CIA when he's trying to steal the knock list and put it on a floppy disk from that super old computer, which is just, it's really a product of its era, the technology that you see there. Um, but I love the first one. Second one, easily the worst of the franchise. Still a totally palatable action movie, but it's very like packed with early 2000s tropes there's a lot of slow motion they've got long flowy hair for no reason uh tom cruise wears shades for like half the movie it's it's like i said it's a it's a palatable movie but it's not good in comparison to the rest of them uh three philip seymour hoffman i think plays the best villain of the franchise in three And I think this one is the most underrated. A lot of people probably lump this in closer to two than the three. I I always am going to say the three newer ones because I'm I'm not really counting Dead Reckoning yet. And we'll get to why in a second. Um, 
but I think a lot of people kind of just automatically lump three in with two, uh, but it's actually a much better movie than two. I think three does not get the credit it deserves most of the time and is a fantastic thriller movie. Um, four, five, and six are where the franchise really starts to pick up, and I think they're all steps above the previous one. Uh, Ghost Protocol has the first of probably the, the super crazy stunts where we see Tom Cruise like scaling the outside of the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. Um, that's just a fantastic sequence, like heart pounding the entire time. Uh, five, Rogue Nation is also great. We get several good action sequences. The opening scene with him clinging to the outside of the plane and then uh, the underwater sequence midway through the movie is also great. And then finally, Fallout. There's just too much to mention in Fallout. If y'all haven't seen it, firstly, watch the rest of the series because Mission Impossible is an action series that deserves to be seen. But Fallout is just stellar all the way through from the bathroom fight scene to the halo jump out of the plane through the lightning storm to the final face-off with the helicopters and the nuke. It's just fantastic. And I think it's still my favorite one. Um, now, Dead Reckoning, I'll give my, my full like rating on it at the end of this episode, but I think it's tough to fully rank at this point. Similar to how we talked about with Into the Spider, or not Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, which came out earlier this year. Uh, this is also a part one. I don't think they've announced a release date for Dead Reckoning Part 2, which is pretty disappointing. I figured they would film them back-to-back and release them one year after the next, but we'll see what happens with it. Um, but it, it de- this movie, I think, definitely felt to me more of like a part one than Across the Spider-Verse. I know Across the Spider-Verse ended on a big cliffhanger, but I think that there was there were enough arcs wrapped up and a thorough story in Across the Spider-Verse. Um, and it didn't really feel as much of a part one as this movie did. There was a finale. There was a great action sequence to end Dead Reckoning. But it didn't feel to me like any sort of closure had been achieved. Um, and so for that reason, I think that it's going to be hard for me to rank this movie and rate it properly without seeing part two. I don't think that necessarily is like a detriment to the movie. Again, for all these part ones with, you know, Spider-Verse and Mission Impossible and even Dune. Like, we both love the first Dune, but if part two is terrible, that it's going to be a huge stain on part one. Uh, yeah. Now, I don't think for those three movies, anything remotely bad is going to happen in the part twos. But mm-hmm. it does kind of remain to be seen with the finale and how it wraps up to tell the whole story across two movies so yeah yeah this is the third straight movie that i've gone to a theater and come out not with the whole movie <laughs> oh know, yeah this fast one's 10 i forgot about that. <laughs> also i'm like guys come on give us like a full story here like it's almost reminds me of back when um when harry potter finished mm-hmm. and they split deathly hallows into two movies and then suddenly every single franchise was splitting their finale into two movies you know like yep. uh, the Hunger Games did it, Twilight did it, you know, all these movies were doing it. Yeah. 
the Hobbit split itself into 30 movies, you know, just, it's like everything was getting completely stretched out into more and more movies. And then we went away from that for a long time, uh, kind of, well, I guess like the typical franchise kind of went away in, um, in the wake of like the MCU's dominance and the idea of like a shared universe instead of just like a straightforward, you know, part one or one, two, three, you know, just a franchise that goes along sequentially. And like this and Fast X are, or, and the Fast franchise are kind of the two that have continued uh, just like making more sequels as opposed to like a shared universe type of thing. I guess John Wick is getting there too, but you know, four movies is still not, not that that many. Um, right. And so <clears throat> it reminds me of, of back, you know, when every single movie was getting split into a part one to part two and we're kind of going back to that. Um, and I, I don't really know why that is, but I mean, I guess maybe coming out of the pandemic, they're like, we'll just wait and, and have this be a two-parter rather than put one out now and put one out later. I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it or if it's just all these different companies just happen to have ideas that needed two movies or like, I don't know if, I guess these are all finales kind of like Fast X is supposed to be the finale. I think this is supposed to be the finale although i'm not actually sure i'm just thinking because i wouldn't be surprised if it was because tom cruise is just getting up there with age um across the spider-verse they could have infinity more movies so who knows about that but it's just kind of interesting that that there's all these part twos back to back to back but um it just yeah it's like the type of thing that it gets you so amped about the movie and then you walk out and you're like that was so good but also like i kind of feel like i didn't get a full experience you know and right. that was kind of my experience with this, like when you and I were talking afterwards about how we thought, you know, this movie was, I was like, dude, the action was amazing. Like Tom Cruise was great. We got so many scenes of him running. Oh, Tom like, Cruise running. We knew, dude, A staple dude, of the franchise. Dude this dude drives run. his arms like nobody's business. Yeah, um, Ethan Hunt's cardio <laughs> is just on a different level. It really is. I, I, try, I was trying to watch and see how many like jump cuts there were. Like obviously Tom Cruise is probably in amazing shape but he's also 61 and you know yeah. they have him running for like a mile straight at full sprint i'm like yeah yeah there's no way he's he's running like a four minute mile no chance um but like we see that like rebecca ferguson anytime she's on screen i'm like just give me more of her like she could be in every single movie and i would love it yeah, um, well <laughs> like spoilers uh, she's in dune she's she's coming back but, but i'm just saying like so much of this movie was so good and yet at the end i walk away like uh, like okay there's the awesome train scene at the end and then he gets in his little parachute jumps out and that's that and it's like oh that's, that's such a you know anticlimactic ending um yeah. and so like i'm really reserving like true judgment on this movie until we see the the part two but yeah. I have high hopes for it. I have no reason to believe it's going to be anything less than awesome, especially yeah. given how many individual awesome scenes there were in this movie. Right, it and just that's kept going. That's sort of the thing about the, you know, the the part one, part two fad we're seeing coming back here is that I'm kind of fine with it as long as the the movies are good. Um, you know, you gave some other examples before of like Harry Potter, where I think that was warranted. I think honestly, more of the Harry Potter books should have been split into multiple movies. From Goblet of Fire on, there's so much cut out of the books that 
Agreed. There's a ton of story left. I mean, I don't want to say on the cutting room floor because I don't even know if they filmed anything like that. But mm-hmm. from book to to screen, there's so much left out, and yeah. that was that's one of my big gripes with the Harry Potter franchise uh, on the screen is that they're fantastic books, and there's a ton in them, and they just don't get nearly enough screen time to to make everything pop. Um, now, you know, you talk about like Hunger Games or something like that, or it's like okay. That's yeah. clearly trying to capitalize on the part one, part two wave and make twice as much money over one book uh, adaptation. Um, but I mean, for, you know, Dune and Spider-Man and now Mission Impossible, these have all been home run films for me and I just want to mm-hmm. see more. I think for Mission Impossible, it feels a little bit more at home because the original Mission Impossible movie uh, back in the 90s was actually based on or like inspired by the there's like a tv show mission impossible which was like a serialized run way back Mm -hmm. in the day um and so for like a spy espionage thriller type genre it makes sense that you kind of always want to be on the edge of your seat even when it seems like the day is saved at the end you always know that there is another impossible mission you know coming up next so that makes a little bit of sense to me but I don't know, man. Part of me is just like, I really just want to see each movie on its own. It does make mm-hmm. it hard to, you know, it's going to be hard to watch in the future if I just want to sit down and watch one Mission Impossible movie. It's going to be Fallout. I'm not mm-hmm. going to sit and watch both Dead Reckonings because, first of all, that'd be like six hours. Yeah. Not that I would have, normally have a problem with that, but like, <laughs> say I only have time for one movie, right? You just got to watch them on 1.5 speed and then you're, <laughs> good. <laughs> then you're good. Imagine how fast Tom Cruise would be running at 1.5 speed. He'd be running 1.5 times as fast. Uh, but yeah, it's like, I don't really, it is a bit of a pain to leave the theater and feel like you haven't got the full story. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of me is like, okay, we knew going in, it's not like it's been a secret during yeah. production and like uh marketing and all that that this isn't a part one so yeah they haven't it's misled the us in any way right yeah. so i don't really have an issue with that there i i don't know i, I feel like it fits more at home most at home in the mcu where mm-hmm. comics are like never ending so one storyline will end one big storyline and you know there'll be a couple like side issues or filler issues and it'll go right into the next story sometimes it'll even just go like back-to-back big events one after the other mm-hmm. and so for a big franchise like the mcu you know it's got its end credit scenes where it's always tacking on to something else or leading into the next story and that's where i feel like it feels okay to have stingers at the end and uh have you more anticipating the next entry mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know i just i'm okay with these you know dune and spider-man and mission impossible doing the part ones because well dune's a huge story that needs the the screen time for sure yeah. uh spider-man was like two of the best movies i've ever seen in my life so i don't care if they make a thousand uh and mission impossible again another great franchise that mm-hmm. you know deserves to have more stories told i don't want to see this become a pattern with other movies where they tell half a story and maybe, you know, in order to try to fit this part one, part two scheme, they tell half a story and mm-hmm. don't
don't give as much screen time to the characters or plot and they just put out two half-baked products mm-hmm. uh, instead of one. Um, because as Ron Swanson says, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one whole thing. Ass one thing. <laughs> exactly. So I don't want to see a lot of franchises fall victim to this, you know, especially considering Dune and Spider-Man and Mission Impossible are going to make absolute bank. Um, yeah. I don't want franchises to look and see, oh, look how much money these made, and they did a part one, part two. Like, they kind of have to earn it. And mm-hmm. those three so far have done it for me, so I don't have an issue with that, but I don't want to see it become a pattern. Yeah. I really I really wonder if this is a symptom of, if you call it that, symptom seems like strictly negative, but I wonder if this is a response to Infinity War Endgame because that just is the only thing that makes sense to me because all of these movies that are coming out this year with COVID probably all started production or getting greenlit around the time Endgame came out or just after, uh, maybe a couple years after. And with the success of that, that wasn't technically a part one and a part two, but it functionally was. And obviously was two of like the top five biggest selling movies of all time. I don't, I don't know exactly uh, where Infinity War is on that, but two of the biggest movies of all time. And, uh, you know, then suddenly all these movies start going and getting written and put into production and stuff um, that all are then part ones and part twos trying to end on a cliffhanger, especially because, um, I mean, Dune is different because it's an adaptation of a book directly. And so, like, you know, if they're just trying to fit everything from the book in and they feel it's wise to take two movies that's different, but for all these other ones like Fast X, Across the Spider-Verse, Mission Impossible, like they're all ending on a cliffhanger where the good guys seem on the back foot, if not like straight up lost, right? Um, which I guess makes sense if you if the bag, if the good guys win at the end of the first part, there's not really a whole lot of tension for the second part, but it, it very much seems like Infinity War Endgame influence, um, just given the timing and that they're all kind of ending on this good guys not necessarily straight up losing but definitely on the back foot and um you know maybe i'm wrong maybe that has nothing to do with it but i'm curious to see if it does continue going forward or not um like with dune maybe since you know if this next movie is successful i don't know the exact time frame that it's going to cover within like the the books because i haven't read the book so i don't know like the plot or what the first book covers uh, I'm assuming that the second one will finish the first book, but I guess I don't technically know that. Um, I wonder if they're going to do two-parters for book two, if they go on to book two, or or if they're just going to go one again. I don't know how long the books are, but I don't know if they're going to make this a regular thing as well. Um, but either way, it's definitely an interesting trend just in, in Hollywood in general. And um, yeah, I mean, part of it might also just be the streaming culture that we live in because everyone's used to binging things. And so once all these movies get put out on streaming services, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm not going to watch two movies back to back, but we'll binge an entire series of eight hour long episodes on like a Saturday, you know, it's like, um, I mean, maybe in just a binge world, it's way easier where everything's on streaming to watch, you know, two part, part one and part two back to back. I don't know, but, but either way, it's an interesting discussion. But um, I think that just leaves our thoughts on Mission Impossible as a little bit TBD when the part two comes out. But I do want to focus on some of the specific things that we liked and or disliked about the movie because I think there's so much that I liked 
and not a whole lot that I didn't like, to be honest. Yes. Like the biggest negative takeaway for me was just the fact that it didn't end very satisfact did it satisfactory satisfactorily. It it wasn't it didn't have a very satisfying ending just because of it being a part one. <laughs> Someone correct me, yeah, tell me what that word is supposed to be. Yeah. Um but for me there were so many positives, like I was saying mm-hmm. earlier. Um I had such a such a fun time in this movie. Um like it was two and a half hours, but it didn't really feel like it was that long either. No, not which is at a good all. sign. Um like it really jumped from one thing to the next without rushing. Like the pacing was very good. Um it kept me engaged the whole time. There was no like lull, I guess. Um, which you know, you wouldn't be surprised if in a part one there would be a lot of setup and a lot of downtime. There was like almost none of that in this movie. There was some backstory and some like awkward exposition, of course, but generally speaking, like the pace just kept moving and they were in like different locations every other scene and like you know, there was an action set piece in almost every location and yeah, it just kept me engaged the whole time, which was really cool. My favorite scene, of course, was um in Rome where they straight up ripped off X, Fast X and the uh the Spanish steps. It's hard <laughs> to the, uh, say the they car ripped off there. Fast X when they <laughs> just did it way better though. Because did they they didn't have a big soccer ball bomb. They weren't That's exactly why it's better. Listen, that's oh, exactly why on, it's dude. better. I'm not oh, saying I dislike fun. <laughs> I'm not saying I dislike the scene in Fast X, but Mission Impossible comparing Ooh. their stunts to Fast X is like disrespectful. Mission Impossible has set the standard for, you know, stunts and big action set pieces for like the better part of two decades now. And uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, did they set that whole first? So <laughs> okay. No, they didn't do that. But that is why this is of a higher quality. That was all practical, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. The you got Ludacris and freaking Tyrese Gibson out in space in a Pontiac. But yeah, uh, almost lost my train of thought. But um, going back to Sorry. kind of what you said before uh, about, you know, your overall thoughts on the movie being positive. I feel like that discussion we just had about the part one, part two dynamic is like, seems that we would lean kind of negatively on this movie but i think it's quite the opposite we both really enjoyed this movie from start to finish like you said the pacing for me was impeccable there are a couple scenes where the movie takes i wouldn't say they're they're really slow scenes but the movie does take time to catch its breath every now and then which is desperately needed you don't want to feel like the entire movie is tom cruise running so you got to take a few moments to breathe. I think the movie picks its spots very well with those. Um, and it, of course, in between the action set pieces are all incredible. I loved uh, even like the opening scene with uh, the Sevastopol. You have kind of no idea what's going on until it gets explained in the following scene at the at the CIA. Um, but we learn that the entity has like source code on the submarine and that's what needs to be accessed by this special key in order to uh, weaponize or control or, in Ethan Hunt's mind, like destroy this insanely powerful AI that could run the world if it wanted to. Um, that scene was fantastic. I love the scene in the Dubai airport where we have the two kind of conflicting uh scenarios of Ethan trying to locate this key and Benji trying to defuse what he thinks is a nuclear bomb. The tension in that scene was great. 
uh, also throw in this, you know, pack of U.S. CIA, CIA agents. And, you know, there's a ticking time, a uh, ticking timer that and literally one on the bomb that like adds a lot more tension to the scene. I thought that was great. Uh, I also liked the uh, beginning scene with Ethan and Ilsa where she's like holding out in the desert against bounty hunters and he goes in and, and they kill them all and he saves her. That was great. Um, the Rome sequences were all fantastic. Like the driving was great. That little bit of humor in the middle where uh, Haley Atwell's character like get, ends up behind the wheel and <laughs> doesn't know how to drive very well. So she just keeps like spinning out. Uh, I thought she was great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mentioned the, the earlier the the mainstays of the franchise, but I think the newcomers in this movie also did a great job as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Haley Atwell and Palm Clementif, to be specific, I thought were both excellent. Uh, Haley Atwell is like this thief Grace who gets kind of caught up in the wrong situation uh, in too deep over her head without knowing what she's really in for but then ends up being along for the ride and, you know, wants to join the IMF at the end of the movie. And then Palm Clementif is basically like the Joker, but as a henchman, she was sadistic and insane. And I loved her fight uh, with Mm -hmm. Tom Cruise in the corridor in Venice also. And then, of course, we have the finale. The whole third act takes place on this train, the Orient Express that Gabriel has, you know, so kindly removed the brakes from. Uh, so it's just going headlong along the tracks in the Austrian Alps. And not only is the setting beautiful, but the action there was, was stellar. It was, it was fantastic. I think probably about as good as a finale as, as they've done so far. So, yeah, I mean, you come to a Mission Impossible movie for Tom Cruise running and for the action set pieces and the stunts. Um, and that's totally what you get in this movie, 100%. Mission Impossible gold right here. Uh, I just feel like, like I said, our previous, you know, discussion maybe let some people think that we didn't enjoy the movie, but it's the opposite. We we both had a blast at the theater for this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this movie was awesome. It was such a fun time. Um, just after this and Top Gun Maverick in the last couple of years, I'm like, bro, anything Tom Cruise puts out, like, I'm just going to go see it, especially if he's like a lead creative on it. Because, you know, it seems like he has been, I don't know his official role in both of those movies, but very much like clearly has a lot of influence in the creative direction of those movies. And um, yeah, like I'm just going to go see it, which maybe that's nothing new. I mean, he's been making amazing movies for a long, long time. Um, but especially his action ones, I'm just like, yeah, as soon as a new one comes up, I'm like, I'm going to go see it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Tom, Whenever Tom part Cruise two comes is, out, I'm uh, going to see it. You know, that's it. Yeah. Tom Cruise <laughs> is like the last real action movie star, I think. Yeah. Uh, in an era where we are no longer seeing new movies from like Bruce Willis and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone and like Dolph Lundgren and mm-hmm. uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme or any any of those older guys. Like, you know, I know we have Expendables, which doesn't really count in my opinion. Um, are they still but, making more of those? Yeah, Expendables 4 is coming out later this year, oh actually. Gosh. Um, but yeah, uh, Tom Cruise <laughs> just it. puts out hit after hit. Uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1 is no exception. And mm-hmm. I'm very excited to see uh, what 
part two has in store. Um, I think you and I were chatting beforehand uh, about this, and we both kind of agree that the entity as a villain, you know, having a faceless AI is a little bit, it's just, it's a curveball for the franchise for sure, which normally has, you know, some ominous villain um, or, you know, Ethan, his like boss at the CIA, Kittredge is a villain in the first one. Uh, I believe that um, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, CIA guy is a partial villain in the third one. Um, so you always have like somebody, you know, in the team, like betray them or, you know, it's somebody with a connection yeah. to Ethan's past. And so for the yeah. entity to just be like a faceless AI is a little bit of a, a, a wrench in the machine here. But I think the addition of Gabriel, um, really added that personal touch, even though we haven't seen him before, or we haven't seen the event that, you know, is referenced multiple times throughout this movie before. Uh, having a villain connected to the entity with that personal connection to Ethan Hunt um, was really good. And I, I want to see more from both Gabriel and the entity in uh, part two. I want to see what they're fully capable of uh, because it seemed like in this movie, people were just more like afraid of the potential of what they could do instead of actually seeing what kind of mayhem yeah. they could, they could cause. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tough when they're, when like all of their resources and stuff are built off of technology and the entity just like takes over anything that's connected to the internet pretty much. It's like, well, <laughs> this is a uh, trouble for you guys, but it also then means they got to kind of ignore that sometimes to make things work. So it's always just like a really interesting cause it's pretty much too powerful to really like handle that well necessarily. But you know, yeah, like you said, putting a face on it with Gabriel was pretty, helpful in that sense so yeah mm -hmm. i'm excited to see what they do with it and you know worst case we get to see tom cruise running more so you know yeah. <laughs> yeah. not a whole lot of downside here kind of no matter where they go with the part two so it's yeah. gonna be interesting though because it's gonna be for part two it's probably gonna be like a whole underwater i mean i, I don't think like the entire i mean it's not like the entire movie is gonna be underwater or anything like that but it is gonna be interesting to see like how much of it is like how much of it is going to be them finding the submarine are they going to find it relatively quickly and then it's like a big race to actually like get there or is it going to be a lot of time just trying to find out where it is because you know they kept making or they made a big deal of one scene in the movie where i forget the, the cia director i think he was a cia director oh um, uh, carrie Wesley. ellis was the uh national security director Okay, the National Security Director. I just saw him as uh, Wesley, the uh, the Man in Black, yep. Dread Pirate Roberts. Um, but he he made like there was a clear a clear scene that showed that he was the only one that knew where it was, right? And so it's like, I mean, obviously Mission Impossible. It's always possible they're gonna find it somehow. But I'm curious to see how they're gonna do that and how quick it's gonna come around before. Um, before it actually gets to the race part of it so yeah i'm excited for it i'm really curious to see where where this next part goes so yeah. it's not like the end it's not like the end was so cliffhangery that it left me like dying but just knowing the franchise and getting to see all the characters except for elsa rest in peace coming back 
Yeah, um, R.I.P. Spoilers. She, died, the, she, she died. died twice in the one movie. Well, once was fake, and then she died for real. And I was like, bro, how are you going to do her like that? I guess yeah. she had to go and film Dune Part 2, so she probably stick around for too many more movies. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, no, it would be yeah. fun to see a lot of underwater action in uh, yeah. Mission Impossible 8, um, Dead Reckoning, The Way of Water. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i think it'll be probably a race to find the sevastopol because i think they made a pretty big deal about only a couple people knowing where exactly it is and yeah. you know now ethan has the key but he doesn't know where the sevastopol is gabriel probably knows where it is but doesn't have the key yeah. but he also needs the key so it'll be interesting yeah. to see this race here but does yeah he need I, the key or does he just need the key gone like for no one else to have it uh ooh, that's a good sure. question um i think he probably needs the key to destroy the original source code would be my guess uh so because, that way he can't be beaten right exactly because the the source code is the only way to defeat the current iteration of the entity from what yeah. we've been told and so yeah. if that's destroyed then the current version of the entity can you know essentially rule or destroy the planet or whatever it wants to do uh, and Ethan wants to find the source code to destroy the current iteration of mm-hmm. the entity, which is uh, is pretty interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I yeah, you said this movie didn't really end as on as much as a, of a cliffhanger, and I I didn't really think about it, but yeah, that's a that's a really good point because it feels m- much more like we know where this is headed. It doesn't feel like a surprise cliffhanger like Spider-Verse where, you know, we see Prowler, Miles Morales in a different universe and it's like totally catches us off guard and we have no mm-hmm. idea what's about to happen next. Like we know where the story's headed in Dead Reckoning Part 2. Um, we just have to get there. And this sort of feels more episodic than it has in the past. Uh, yeah. Five and six were, I think, probably the first really back-to-back movies in the franchise that felt like sequels the rest of them are you know even with the recurring characters they feel very individualized and and more um what's the word i'm looking for anthology is the word i'm looking for uh just stories in the franchise as opposed to like each of them telling a continuous story right but five and six are very connected with the whole syndicate uh storyline and solomon lane and then yeah, obviously, part one and part two are going to be sequels as well. So, um, yeah, uh, what was so? Let me ask you before we uh, before we wrap this up and finish our review here. Um, what was your favorite moment of this movie, action or otherwise? I mean, my favorite moment is probably the whole car chase scene. Like Haley Atwell's character was absolutely cracking me up when she. Like, I mean, she gets in, she steals a cop car at first. So she gets in the cop car and not, you know, she's hitting things, but you don't really know if she's just panicked or what. And then later when they get in the car together, she's like refusing to drive. She's like, nope, nope, nope. You're driving. Cause they're like handcuffed together. And like, okay, maybe it's just cause she like, doesn't feel comfortable doing it while she's handcuffed. Like has his hand all over the steering wheel and whatever. And then we get like the, the ridiculous they flip down the steps and they end up switching seats which is like really stupid but also kind of funny 
and then she's actually driving and she just does donuts for like five minutes straight and she has it's like they gave no backstory on why she can't drive they gave no like explanation on it and she it was just cracking me up dude it was so funny just watching them try to like and he's like it's okay you know he's like being like a dad teaching his daughter like how to drive a car and she's panicking Mm -hmm. and hitting things and spinning around i was cracking up at that part uh especially because she's like so competent in so many other ways and then she gets behind a wheel and she just can't do anything and it's like yeah it was cracking me up so uh then the whole you know the whole chase scene was still fun it's a you know pretty generic car chase scene it wasn't anything that we had never seen before i guess like the two people being handcuffed while driving was relatively new um having to like work that out but all together just like a really fun light-hearted scene so nice you know, i was never too worried during it but that was that was my favorite part so um nice yeah, yeah i was also when we were at the, the big party at the end i was expecting john wick to come through with all the uh, the club music and the dancing people. i was like yo john wick is about to show up this is his scene man if we start hearing gunshots we know what's going on dude but, seriously uh, i got major yeah. john wick vibes from that party uh and also i mean the opening one of the opening scenes in the desert when ethan goes out to to meet ilsa like the last john wick movie opened yeah. with him riding through exact the desert chasing the guys uh, on horseback so yeah copycats they're copying from fast x and copying from john wick is mission impossible a plagiarism franchise I think it might be i think it might be that's crazy well yeah. No, the, the Rome sequence was great. Uh, yeah. I would definitely rate that highly on uh, my own personal list. And since you just didn't ask me so politely what my favorite part was, was I'm going to say it I figured you were going to say it. I'm not even Steve? acknowledging your question. I'm just going to say it as if I had asked myself. And thank you, Stephen, for being so thoughtful. Um, my favorite part, Stephen, uh, was actually during the train sequence when uh, Tom Cruise is chasing the train on motorcycle. And I mean, we've seen this in the trailers. I wish they had not put this in the trailer because then I didn't, yeah. I wouldn't have seen it a thousand times before the movie. As much as I tried to avoid trailers, they played the trailer for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 before like every movie I've seen this year. So um, he gets to the top of this mountain and has to launch off in order to pull his chute and catch up with the train, which was, first of all, an amazing stunt by itself. Uh, Tom Cruise actually did that. I don't I don't believe he did it at the top of a mountain, but I know he actually did that motorcycle jump somewhere. That's crazy. Uh and yeah, like the the way the music cuts out as he's falling, you just hear the wind rushing by and you know, he has to get far enough out from the mountain that he won't dash himself to pieces on the rocks and have space to pull a chute and then catch up to the moving train which is going much faster than he expected. It's a very tense moment amazing stunt and then to top it all off he comes flying (laughs) into the train and like spartan kicks a guy inadvertently out the other side he lands Uh, in the exact correct spot on the whole train when he has no clue where she is yeah of course exactly yeah it was perfect that was that was fantastic um i i love that scene uh i mean the whole train sequence if you're gonna say the whole room sequence i'm gonna say the whole train sequence was Mm -hmm. just excellent uh, when it yeah. crashes at the end and they have to uh, make their way back up to the to safety, like train car after train car as they're falling. And it's all these different train cars, which provide different challenges and environments. Yeah. It's like 
it's like a escape room for each one Pretty but much. like yeah way deadlier like they have to go through the kitchen one with all the water sliding all over the place and the gas stove about to explode like the oil then, too it wasn't just water it was like oil too which could have caught on fire at any moment and like yeah and the yeah. next one has like all this heavy furniture and like a piano is just crazy so mm-hmm. yeah i mean that whole train sequence the third act was just fantastic and yeah i mean we started I, again i feel like we started this review off on a little bit more negative note but i there really weren't too many negatives uh for me in this movie i i think maybe some of the dialogue was not quite up to snuff and i wish ilsa hadn't died <laughs> and uh i wanted to see a little bit more from from the villain uh, yeah. As well as more from Carrie Elways, who also dies in this movie, which is very tragic. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, overall rating, and this is not to be taken seriously, but we do give ratings on all these. Um, yeah. But this rating uh, is definitely not to be taken seriously because of the part one nature. So yeah. it will require reevaluation after part two comes out. But I'd have to say like an eight, two, eight, three on this one. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I didn't like it as much as Fallout, but it's still a fantastic action movie. And I mean, comparing it to one of the best action movies ever made is probably not fair. Mm-hmm. So yeah, eight, yeah. low eight, low mid eights for me on this uh, on this one. Yeah. No, I, I was gonna say eight four probably. I was trying to remember what my Wakanda Forever score was because I think I gave that about an eight three or an eight four. And this I definitely liked more than that. So whatever Wakanda Forever was plus about point two or point three. So. Uh, if I can run back and check what I gave that, I think I gave that like an eight, four. So I'll just say eight, five on this one, eight, six. Um, when realistically I should probably knock Wakanda forever down a couple, which is nothing against it. Just as more movies, you know, as we rate more movies on like an actual scale, you know, they'll adjust relative to each other and stuff, but, but yeah, no, really good. Makes me want to go back and rewatch the whole franchise. Um, I'll probably do that relatively soon here. See if Lydia is up for it because you know, this was the first one that she'd seen. She might have seen a couple of other ones, but not anytime recently. So, yeah, um, she was going in this one basically as if it was the first one she'd seen. So, yeah, I would love to go and rewatch the rest of them. Maybe when before the next one comes out, definitely we'll watch all of them. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe in the next few weeks here. But yeah, yeah, it was a great time in the theater. It was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Definitely looking forward to it. And the theater that we were in, we went to the Westbrook uh, Theater down near Old Saybrook. And uh, they didn't have any movie trailers before. They just had like That's ads. awesome. Yeah. Well, they had ads like, you know, for Pepsi and like some insurance company. And it was like a TV ads, but they had no trailers for any other movies. And they just went right in the movie. And I was like, this is amazing. Because normally in the theater, I have to like plug my ears and go la, 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 la. And like, you know, miss trailers. Because now they probably have trailers for, I don't know. I guess they haven't really put out like a Marvel's trailer yet. I don't really know what trailers would be out now that I... I did see a Marvel's trailer for, uh, or before, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1. I was going to say, that's, that would be the only one that I really wouldn't want to see, like, a trailer for, because everything else, I don't, I don't know what the next thing I'm that excited for. I guess Oppenheimer is probably has a trailer too, but. Well, that's um, out tomorrow, so (laughs) I don't think you're going to have to worry about that. That's what I'm saying. So, so either way, I was like, but it was cool though, not to have to worry about it. Um, the seats were not that comfortable but uh oh you know, do but i had to mention before we before we finish up here yeah. uh i watched this in dolby my seat was going insane oh, I for some it. of the sound design in this movie it was just like i felt like 
people probably felt watching the first Jurassic Park back in the day when the T-Rex walks on screen, like my seat was going berserk and it just only added to the excitement and tension in this movie. Um, that was very well done and something that probably not a lot of people will experience if they just watch it in a normal theater. But yeah, the Dolby experience is, is something different. But uh, you also Crazy. just gave me an idea for a future episode that we can do is we can uh, go back and look at all of our ratings for the year at you know whatever we gave each movie at the end of each episode and uh mm -hmm. and we can adjust our ratings because i'm Re sure we've them. given uh i'm sure we've given movies different ratings but mm -hmm. compared to other things that we rated after the fact like you said yeah what kind of forever and dead reckoning here uh i think that our scale could definitely use uh maybe some adjustment and uh some some second yeah. passes yeah i did try to we'll be to a little that. bit harsh which i just tend to be a harsh critic anyway but I did, I did try to be harsher early on because I knew that there were more movies that I was going to like. And so I tried to, you know, when I was giving out like low sevens and I think I even, I don't know if I gave out any sixes, but when I was giving out low scores, part of it is that I was, you know, trying to be future proof. Cause I'm like, if I give it a nine, even if I really liked it, if I like a movie more, am I going to go up to like a nine and a half? Like that's yeah, very few movies are going to make it to a nine and a half, you know? So, yeah. Um, we'll see, but going back and reevaluating will be, will be pretty cool. So it would be interesting. Maybe yeah. that'll, that'll just be, we'll, we'll call it a part two for all of our movie reviews and we'll just yeah, leave you guys hanging. One. We'll leave you. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. But, so yeah. But yeah, now it's time to just get off uh, unceremoniously and lead yeah. up. Uh, we will return. Exactly. The, we got uh, to put up a, uh, to be continued like Spider-Verse yeah. and, uh, and Matrix 2. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's why uh, I don't. That's why I don't understand why movies have like the someone will return. Like so many movies have that now. It's like clearly the story's not over. Clearly they're returning. Like why are you telling us this person will return? It's like it was halfway through the story. No duh. Like come on, just let, trust the audience a little bit. You know. Yeah. No. Like you when they said point. Thanos will return, it's like. At the end yeah. of Infinity Wars, like I, duh. I freaking hope so. Well, that one was uh, yeah, different. Duh. I, I kind of like that one, and we're we're so. rambling here at the end. But I did yeah. like that one because most of the time beforehand, it was like, the oh, hero this will hero return. will return, yeah. you know, and that really cemented Thanos as like the main character of Infinity War, yeah. and, and did all that good stuff. Yeah, well, not so. good stuff. He killed a lot of people, but um, he did. But anyways, all done. So we are totally off topic. Fine. We got to wrap it up <laughs> here. That's going to do it, it for our Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 review. Uh, we both really enjoyed it, and we can't wait to see Part 2. We will catch you guys next time. As And as of today's recording, we got the Barbie Oppenheimer double drop tomorrow. Big movies on the way. Big reviews on the way. And we'll see you guys next time. Deuces. Peace. Peace.